Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Manga Mavericks at Movies, the show where we talk smack about movies, except when we don't. And, of course, the only podcast that waits over a year to release its episodes, because that just is how it all turned out. And yes, we are still going through the backlog of 2017 episodes that have yet to be released. And this week we have a very interesting double feature. Two French films, widely acclaimed and really excellent, that have come out from the last couple of years, both of which licensed by G-Kids and were given a limited theatrical run in 2017. Those films being, of course, My Life as a Zucchini and Mune, Guardian of the Moon. And you know how last week where I said we were releasing the oldest recording in our archive? Well, actually, the My Life as a Zucchini review is the oldest in our archive that we haven't released on the podcast feed. It had previously been available on our YouTube channel since last March, March of 2017. But considering that it has not been seen by many people, I am going to wager that most of you podcast listeners have not gotten a chance to listen to our discussion of it. And both these films, My Life is Zucchini and Mune, are films worth checking out if you are a great fan of animation, because they do some really excellent things, even though they are kids' films, especially because they are kids' films. They are incredibly creative and beautiful, and I think they're a real treat, and hopefully you'll enjoy hearing us talk about them and choose to seek them out for yourselves if you haven't gotten the chance to watch them yet. But now, let's listen to the reviews! Welcome to Movie Mavericks, where we talk smack about movies. We're still going with that catchphrase? I don't know. Guess we are. We're just rolling with it. And today, we've got a very special episode talking about a very special movie. No, it's not an anime movie. It is an animated movie, though. We are talking about the French stop-motion film, My Life as a Zucchini. Or, as you may have originally known it in French, My Life as a Courgette, because courgette is the French word for zucchini, and that's a little fact for you. But yeah, anyway, we are going to talk about My Life is a Zucchini, a film that we saw just a couple days ago, and a film we both really enjoyed. Actually, I saw the film on its opening premiere in the United States at the New York International Children's Festival, and that was a packed audience. Full house for the night and a very welcoming applause for the film. Seems everyone there was reeling into it and it was a really great time and a great way to experience the film. But there really isn't much to talk about in terms of the theater experience for our screening that we saw together because they were pretty much just old people in yeah, the theater. There was like two sets of like old people just watching the movie and that was kind of it. Yeah. Cool to see filmgoers going out to this movie, but it wasn't a packed house. But we saw it in the middle of the day on a Tuesday, you know. Weren't really expecting a lot of people to see Like, and honestly, probably a lot more people probably went to the English screenings. That's probably true. Also, you know, it's the middle of the day. We saw it at 2 p.m. Obviously, no kids were going to see it. They're in school. Stairs spring break oh, yeah. until April. We're oh, yeah, we saw it on a yeah. weekday. I we did. about that. How can you forget about that? It was fucking two days ago. It wasn't even two days ago. It was one day ago. Oh, whatever. Anyway, so we're not going to go into our theory experience that much. We're just going to jump right into our opinions of the movie. And I quite enjoyed the movie. It is a very dark and in times dark, but it's actually where it has a very hopeful message and a very, very emotional, like, ending. And it's a very moving film about, like, children who are coming from these bad homes, all finding strength and family in each other, and then how, even though bad things have happened to your life, you can find people who care and love about you and make you stronger and help you out, and you can find your own happiness. And it's a really cool message for kids, and especially 
and we're a unique situation to show in a children's movie that doesn't get touched upon quite as often as honestly it might and could have and should because there are a lot of kids who probably could relate to the situations that Zucchini and the rest of the kids at the orphanage were in. So this might be a very cathartic and important film for them. Yeah, I can't agree with all of what you said. It, it, the movie itself has a, a few dark moments and stuff, but overall it's a very hopeful message. And it's kind of like, pretty much has this whole theme of kind of unity and family, where all these kids from all these different homes, where all the parents are whether in jail, they're dead, or other things, like, they all are coming together and kind of building a family of their own, despite losing their original families. It's kind of like showing this kind of, I guess, through tragedy you can still find hope and, like, live a happy life. Mm-hmm. I think what I really appreciated about the movie is just the craft of the cinematography and craft of the stop-the-ocean animation. Like, it has this very nice childlike aesthetic, right? And that is really cool for a movie that's tackling these more mature teens. This very childlike crayon-y aesthetic that the movie has. And that's a signature of the director, Claude Barris, who, you know, is known for that kind of style and that clay-like, that kind of childlike quality of his stop-motion animation. We saw a, a short film of his that very much encapsulated that style, the genie in a tin cat and of ravioli, oh, yeah, which that was, was funny. <laughs> a very funny short, a very that also tapped into this very childlike sensibility because it's a very silly short. There's this man who works at this ravioli factory. He comes home, he opens a can of ravioli. Genie's in it, gives him two wishes. What? Not three? Nope. With him, it's only two. And what does he wish for? He just wishes for some nice, simple things. He wishes for a flower bed, and then he wishes for a dinner. And it's just a cute, short film that's very childlike, very innocent, and just has this very charming sense, and very child-friendly sensibility. But it doesn't feel like it's dumbed down, or it doesn't feel like it is cynical in the way it presents it itself. It just feels like this very honest, childlike tone and feel, which I really appreciate about Claude Barris's work. And that comes through in this film very well, even though the subject matter is a lot more mature, is a lot more grounded. Whereas in Tincan and Ravioli, you know, it's a little more surrealist. It's a little more, like, meandering in terms of where the story goes, a little random, so to speak, in terms of where the story goes. <laughs> yeah. But, and whereas Zucchini has a focused narrative. Right. You know. But all the same... The sensibilities that Barris takes into his short films, he applied it here very well, and it just adds on to the story. And it should be pointed out that uh, Zucchini, this film, is an adaption of a, a French autobiography. I assume uh, a lot of the events in the story are based on reality, based on things that had happened Certainly, there are probably some embellishments here and there. And this is a story that has actually been adapted in live action before, back in 2007. But this animated interpretation is where it feels very true to life all the same, in the sense that the emotions feel real. Like, it is a children's movie in terms of, like, some of the things you expect. But there are these wonderful scenes that are lingering and feel, like, almost too close to home and, like, how real they are presented in terms of the emotions of the characters. And that's what makes the movie so relevant and powerful to me. You can definitely feel a great sense of realism within the movie. It's just, like, th this is something that really does happen. Children get abandoned. Children have to go into foster homes and all this stuff. And this very much is a... Seems like a very accurate depiction of that. And the other, like, very, like, interesting thing about this movie that I really like is that there's never, like, this overly dramatized conflict in the movie. There is conflict, but it's very much subdued. It feels very realistic. It feels like a real-life problem. It's never, like, taken to the point where it's, like, some extreme, like, suspenseful thing that you would, like, be, like, some Hollywood-type kind of, like, trope to put into the movie to make it more interesting. I have to appreciate the craft and efficiency of the storytelling to make me care about these characters, 
even with only a few short scenes to go on and make their relationships feel believable. Like Camille and the girl who had an abusive father, you know, the relationship between them is only given like a few minutes of screen time in the movie, but it feels like it has this very satisfying arc to it. And like the relationship between them feels like special. Like, and so when the girl, like, puts her hair back over her eye when before the movie Camille, like, flipped it over, that feels like it means something. And, like, you feel, like, the emotion and, like, what that means. And and just have to appreciate those kind of moments and those kind of subtleties that really define the movie. Probably the most haunting scene is just when all the kids at the orphanage are at the ski resort and they see this mother and the son... And they're just staring at them. And we just linger on that shot of them just looking at the mother and son. And it just lingers for a while, it seems. And that says a lot. Why that scene is lingering. Like, them longing for a family. For, like, a parental figure that loves them. That is not said explicitly in the movie. But you can feel that in that scene. And it's just such great filmmaking. I really appreciate it. There's not a lot I can really say about the movie without just spoiling every detail, I feel. And I feel that would be a disservice. What I will say, I really think the English dub was great. Honestly, because the acting in the French version is very understated and subtle... It might be a good idea to seek out the English version and watch that because, well, the acting is also similar and also affects in quality. Just because you're more familiar with the English language, you'll probably understand the acting and the subtleties of said acting a lot better. And I just love a lot of the performances in the English dubs, especially Nick Offerman as Raymond, the police cop. He was great. I really enjoyed him. But the kid who plays Zucchini, he was Excellent. And what really impressed me is that after the screening I was at, at the New York International Film Festival, you know, they brought the kid who played Zucchini and the girl who played Camille on stage, and they answered some Q&As. And that kid gave some smart answers about voice acting that was like, this character, because they had a model of a Zucchini on stage, a stop-motion model, and so he was pointing at the model, and he was saying, this guy is not real. We actors are the people who make these characters real. And it's like, wow, this kid already has a pretty interesting acting philosophy. And he's just a young kid. I am impressed. This guy, I'm interested in the places he will go in his career. So, yeah, I was very impressed with the voice actors and the acting in the English dub. G-Kids did a great job. I'm very disappointed on that note because at the film festival premiere... The head of G-Kids was there, and, you know, he was talking, because the Oscars were on that Sunday, you know, how Zucchini was nominated for the Oscar, and how nice it would be if it could win, because Zucchini had already won, like, a award just a weekend prior at a different film festival, at the French version of the Oscars, basically. So... You know, we kind of know how that turned out. And Pretty then, much, I'm just going to say here, fuck Zootopia. <laughs> Screw Zootopia. <laughs> Zootopia. Honestly, uh, aside from Moana, I didn't watch Moana. But compared to Red Turtle, Zucchini, and Kubo, Zootopia doesn't pale in comparison. Like Zootopia does pale in comparison. Oh, I mean, yeah, Zootopia does pale in comparison. It's like... I don't know. It just goes to show the Academy does not watch the animated films. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, I do feel Zucchini is a more deserving film than Zootopia on the level of its filmmaking and in terms of the potency of its storytelling. But I can't say I dislike Zootopia. I enjoyed Zootopia immensely, and I think it was perfectly deserving of the film. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong, I like Zootopia, but... To me, it just feels like another cop-out from the Oscars just to pretty much choose the easy choice. Not choose something that truly deserves it. And this really kind of, like, hit me when I was watching the Oscars, for God knows why, that that was the biggest waste of time. (laughs) But, like, one of the producers of Moonlight came up for his acceptance speech and said, like, 
Guys, the Oscars are looking out for you. They are looking at all these niche markets. If you believe that you aren't represented by the, by the Oscars, they are looking out for you. They are trying to represent you. And I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, that's true. If you're not an animated film. It just feels like within the Academy, there's just this whole disparity between how they view live-action films and how they're viewing the animated films. Yeah. Because but... even if we looked at the short animated film section, which me and Sid both saw all the short animated films because they're screening, like, worldwide, they they chose the pretty much the easiest choice, Piper, instead of, like, instead of the cider, pear cider film, which was a complex film about alcohol addiction and drug addiction. They choose a film, Piper, which is, is cute. It's about a cute little bird and stuff. But the message... He's nowhere near as strong as Parasiders. Yeah, I can agree with that. On the level of technical craft, and like, there's a lot to love about Piper. But yeah, I mean, there were other films nominated that were more deserving of that award. I felt and Parasider was my pick too, because it was just such an awesomely stylized such, film. Such an amazing film. Honestly, if you have like 30 minutes... Watch that film. It's worth your time. It's just amazing. Yeah. It strikes me that we haven't really touched upon the plot of Zucchini. Um, but do you want to go into it? I don't think we have to. That's what I'm Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, essentially, it's about these kids living in a foster and kind of adapting through the struggles of it. And then eventually, like, them coming to terms with change in life, and pretty much all, like, the different aspects of life of as being a family. And that's really all there is to it, but it's done so well, it's executed so well, it's... Visually, it's very, very good, it looks very nice. It's a very simple story in many ways, but in presentation and execution, that's where it's put a cut above the rest. Indeed, I can't really put it any better. That's a great sum up of the film. I don't re- really want to get into too many details about Tsukimi because, like, I think a lot of the plot beats, there's no reason to spoil things in yeah. this movie. I mean, like, it's, it's one of those things that you just have to watch yourself. And I'm pretty sure G-Kids is planning to release it pretty soon on home media. Yeah. It's only an hour, hour six-minute film. Yeah. And yeah, so if you haven't... About an hour, just go watch the film. It's really good. I'd it, recommend it, definitely. Yeah. It was a great film. I think it deserves a lot of attention, as much attention as it can. And I'm definitely looking forward to Claude Barris' next feature project. Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to watch it. Welcome to My Maverick's Ad Movies, the show where we talk smack about movies. God damn it, why do we still have this fat face? I don't know, I don't know. We just keep rolling with it. It's because we're too unoriginal to come up with a new catchphrase. You know what's not unoriginal, though? The film that we just saw, Mune, Guardian of the Moon, or as it was originally known in French, Mune, the Guardian de la Lune. Is it a mune Guardian of the Moon? It is mune, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I keep pronouncing it Mune. I'm, I've been inundated with weaviness. This is how it probably be, would be pronounced if it was a Japanese yeah. name. Yeah, but it's just like how you'd, I guess, sort of explain it. Like Mune, because M-U-N-E. So Mune, yeah. Guardian of the Moon. Because he's the Guardian of the Moon. His name's Mune. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Guardian of the Sun, his name's Sahun. Yeah. Get, get it? It's a... Uh, it's mispronouncing the names of the uh, plant of the celestial bodies. Yup. Yeah. Ooh. You have nothing to add about the names. All you do is just parrot what I'm saying or like add in like a yeah or woo. See, this movie was clearly the product of people who thought creatively, (laughs) who thought about what would be the most interesting thing to do 
in this story, in this world, and this is one of the most imaginative worlds I've seen in a while. Like, there's some bizarrely designed creatures, there's, like, really stylized art. I love the art in this movie. It is just beautiful, stunning backgrounds. This is a great example of stylization in CG animation that just works super well. It's, like, one of the best examples I've seen in recent memory, up there with the Peanuts movie. Yeah, visually this movie was stunning. The CG looks great, like, probably some of the best CG I've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. It just works so well, like, environments kind of just, like, really come to life with color, I feel like. Because uh, the big contrast in this film is, like, there's one side of the planet that's all, like, bright because of, like, covered by the sun, the other side's just fully covered by the moon. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can just see, like, the different, like, I guess... Contrast and colors there, like the sun side's like super bright and vibrant, and then like moon side kind of has this like cool like I guess I don't know like mystic feel to it. Yeah, definitely. I love the scene where they're all at the rally for like the coronation of the new guardians, and you, you see the audience. <laughs> and one side is the people in the sun, the other side is the people in the moon. There's just this thin stripe of like evening, the middle ground. And yeah. that, that was just really cool. I, I really love that imagery. It was a lot of awesomeness. Like, this movie is great at taking a 2D cartooniness and transplanting it into 3D space. And it just works so well. Yeah, for sure. I'm not too familiar with the directors, the staff behind this movie. This is a French film that has been made by this production company on Animation Studios. They've done work on Miraculous Ladybug. They co-produced that. Uh, They did work on Iron Man Adventures, apparently. Yeah, Iron Man Armored Adventures. Yeah. So they've been around, but I haven't seen any of their like theatrical work before now. But yeah. they did an amazing job. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, one thing that's interesting about this film is that it came out like quite a while ago in France. Like this came out, this was first released at a film festival in 2014, and then it debuted in France in 2015. Yeah. So it's taken two years for G Kids to give it a wide theatrical release. But I'm glad they did, because I'm glad I got a chance to do this movie. Yeah. Though this was shown, I believe, before at Annecy. Yeah. I mean, Annecy's in France, though. That is true, it is in France. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this movie kind of snuck up on us out of nowhere, really. Because I would not have known about it if We Lord hadn't just randomly been searching up Fathom events and saw it. Yeah, I think I saw it a few times on Facebook, because G-Kids has been promoting it. They have released trailers for it, and if you look on their Twitter, it's like their banner and stuff. But I don't know, for some reason I just didn't notice it before. Yeah, you know, we keep going to the Ghibli screenings. It would be nice if they had, like, put a yeah, like, trailer Yeah, put a trailer those. there. I, I put a trailer before the shorts with a quick little one, so people know about this stuff. Like, they recently also had another French screening, like, The Girl Without Hands. And I didn't know that that was even a thing. Like, Neither did I. We keep missing these because <laughs> the G-Kids is not doing a great job of promoting them just with their movies. Like, yeah. just put a trailer for your upcoming theatrical releases in front of your movies, dude. Like, uh, they're doing, I think they're doing a good job social media-wise. But the problem is I follow so many things on social media that it, G-Kids doesn't necessarily always pop pop up for me. Yeah, but yeah. you have to imagine that if they just gave it a little more of a marketing image, or yeah, just, just like, just give it a like trailer. That. Just give it a trailer. Yeah. Like, just put a trailer before one of the Ghibli Fest movies, and then you're good. Because, like, this, this is what they do for other films, like, they did this for, uh, my high school singing Into the Sea, they had the trailer before, I think, whatever movie we saw. I forget mm. which movie it was. But they had, uh, it was My Life as a Zucchini, I think. Mm-hmm. They had a trailer for Children Singing in the Sea before before My Life as a Zucchini. That's how I, like, realized, oh, wait, yeah, they're screening this. Cool. Yeah. Like, exactly. so uh, I wish they'd do that for the other stuff. Because, like, The Girl Without Hands seemed like a cool film. I'll probably, watch, I'll probably watch it at some point, because I'm sure D-Kids is going to put on DVD and Blu-ray. But I, it would have been cool to see it in a theater. 
Yeah, because you know with G-Kids that they're going to license some interesting films. They always pick, like, the cream of the proc, the best of animation that they can get yeah. their hands on. Like, so I want to go out and see whatever they have endorsed, whatever they have put yeah. out in theaters. Like, I, I've always noticed a lot of their films, like, before anime films that I went to, but I ne- until, like, recently, I've never really bothered to go and see them. So now I kind of want to just go seek them out, because... By now, pretty much all the ones I haven't seen are on Blu-ray already. Mm-hmm. They're not expensive, like 15, 20 bucks, so it might be worth it. The problem is, it's just so easy to lose track of, like, when yeah. G-Kids is releasing stuff. Because there are so many films from the past, like April and Extraordinary World, that I love to have seen in theaters, but I didn't know it was in theaters. I knew it was in theaters, I just didn't bother to go. <laughs> Well, for uh, me, the only thing that keeps me from going to these is just lack of awareness. Yeah. But I feel like they really need to retool like their marketing strategy because I don't know how many butts and seats they're getting. Because at the screening we went to, and granted, we went to a theater in like Rose, Roseville, Minnesota. Roseville, so that's, I guess, that's a little bit more uptown. Yeah, yeah but it's not—it's no Minneapolis. It's yeah, it's, not like we it's, saw this at the Lagoon. Yeah. Which is an art theater, basically. Lagoon's, yeah, Lagoon's, like, right in, like, the artsy sector of Uptown. Yeah. So, we went and saw it at a Roseville AMC, and there were some people there. There were families. I was surprised how many people there were there, to be honest. It was, like, it wasn't full, but it was at least, like... It wasn't close to full. It was probably, like, yeah, a fourth full. Yeah, a fourth full, maybe a third full, as a high estimate. But, yeah, I feel like this movie should have been seen by more people. I mean, it's just a one-day-only event. You got it in theaters across the country, but how many people knew about this? I, I wonder how those people knew about this. Yeah, I was surprised, huh? Like, Did their kids find out about it? Did they just randomly see kids, that? I, I highly doubt their kids found out about it. I don't know. Uh-oh. They're so some savvy kids. Remember the ancient Maguses? Yeah, that's that's different. That's anime. Yeah, but who knows? Maybe there's some kids who are really into animation and are looking up old porn animation. I I, I kind of doubt it. I don't know. It's but, the internet. Like, I don't know. It seemed like a few of them were, were probably people who also just follow G Kids on Twitter or something and thought it looked cool. Maybe. I mean, there was more families than just random people. Yeah, so maybe maybe it was just some people who just came to the theater and were like, huh, this Mune thing looks cool, let's let's go see that. So there wasn't even a poster in the theater. Yeah, so, so I don't know. I don't know. They maybe they just probably just looked up the film on their phone. Maybe. Uh, I, don't I don't know. know. It's but, a mystery. I mean, what competition does it have in regards to animated films? Because... Ooh. You think about it. What else is out there? Nut job two emoji movie. Those yeah, have because they're lo- masterpieces. Those have like lo- incredibly low scores on Rotten Tomatoes. They have embarrassingly low scores. They have like less than ten percent. And this movie at least has a seventy four percent or something. You know. Yeah. So obviously, a parent who goes on Rotten Tomatoes, they see that and like, hmm, okay, I haven't, I don't know anything about this new thing, but. It has a way better score than that other stuff. And I don't want to see a movie called a goddamn emoji movie. <laughs> so, screw it. I'm going to just take my kid to see this. Yeah. So, I've I, I got to imagine that some of the parents <laughs> in there thought like that, and that's why they took their kid to the Probably. movie. Probably. Yeah. Speaking of theatrical experience, I don't know about the crowd. I don't know how enthusiastic the crowd was. There was this one, like, little girl behind us who, like, got very excited about about certain things. Yeah. It was nice. I like, you know, when kids get excited in the movie. So that was nice. Uh, but otherwise, like, a lot of the, a lot of people were just not, like, getting... I don't know. There was not, like, any yeah. big reactions. I mean, sometimes people would laugh at some jokes or whatever. But. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of those comes out to maybe G-Kids really probably should have pushed it more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I know they have two. They have two more, at least two more, like non-anime screenings this year. The Breadwinner, I think, Bird Boy. Are those this year or next year? This year. Are you sure? They slated Breadwinner for fall 2017. Bird Boy, they picked up this year, but they aren't clear on when they're releasing. But I am assuming that's still going to be this year. 
Okay, uh, that was, Breadwinner looked super good. So. When did Breadwinner come out? Like, when did it come out? I mean, it hasn't premiered yet. It's gonna premiere in the Toronto Film Festival next month. Well, okay, this yeah, year's Toronto right. Film Festival. Let's be honest here. This isn't gonna come. This podcast will probably come out past <laughs> September 2017. Yeah. Heck, the movie might already have been out or have like been out for a while and just gone now. But yeah, but, but yeah, the Breadwinner is slated for fall 2017 for theater theatrical screening, so I'm assuming G-Kids is going to get that in a, at least about as wide as Mune, so... I hope so. It yeah. looks like a movie that could get some good critical yeah, acclaim. looks interesting. This might be their uh, zucchini for this year, in terms of a film they want to probably yeah. push for Oscar nom. For sure. G-Kids is being... Really good at those Oscar noms. Yeah, they have a foot in the door in the industry. Yeah. They just always have a slot, it seems. Which is like surprising, because, like, a few years back, you'd think of G-Kids as this very small company, but now they're kind of building themselves. They're, I mean, they, they literally have, the, have the entire, they have the entire Ghibli library now. I mean, they've made a n- name for themselves. It's like high quality, uh, distribution studio, because they pick the best of the best in terms of yeah. Films. They're, they they're, tap- the they're tapping, even outside of anime, they're tapping into a market that really is not being touched. Like, how, how many, like, distributors do you see in the U.S. that are distributing non-anime foreign film and foreign animated films? Not a whole lot. Yeah, it's kind of non-existent. Yeah. So, like, a, a lot of the exposure we're getting to non, like, non-anime foreign film, foreign animated films and stuff, is G Kids like Zucchini in this film? Like it's really cool that they're doing this, and honestly, it makes me want to be able to check out like more foreign animated films because there's a lot out there that we probably never hear of. Yeah, there is plenty out there, like that I'm sure has never been brought over. Like even in France alone, because they have a huge animation market there. They do. Yeah. Yeah, foreign foreign animation is just underexposed, especially if you're a U.S. based fan. And you're just like a you're not actively seeking this stuff out. Yeah, I mean, all we really hear about is anime and American cartoons. Yeah, and hopefully, G Kids will pave the way for that to change. Where's our Crunchyroll for French animation? And sometimes French animation has got it big. Uh, I think Miracle Ladybug is. Yeah, Ladybug, and then there's that there's that one series that Mondo picked up, that boxing series. Did I? I don't know anything about that one. Yeah, uh, that one looks cool though. Cool. I want to talk about the actual movie now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we kind of went on a tangent there. What was your yeah. overall impression of this film? Because I think we can both agree that artistically, this film was gorgeous. It had yeah. some incredibly expressive character animation, be- wonderful character designs, a beautiful world, great color scheming and teaming, and just in general. Aesthetically, it just was wonderful to look at. Yeah. But narratively, I wonder. It was narratively, I felt it was a little weak at times. And narratively, I felt it was pretty simplistic. Yeah. Like we kind of early into the film, like like Mune pretty much becomes Guardian of the Moon without really us getting to know Mune first. That was my biggest problem with the like, movie. Is that Mune as a character, I. Did not. He, I, he's I, bland as fuck. Yeah, I could not care about this kid, like because we're when we're introduced to him, like he's just goofing around. We don't really get a sense of his motivation. They also don't explain the magic dust. Yeah, we first. don't know why he has <laughs> his magic powers. Yeah. At first, like I thought it was just, oh, okay, maybe all this, all of his like species has that, but no, apparently it's special to him. Yeah, we don't get a sense of what qualifies him to be Guardian of the Moon. Like, if the movie had started out with him doing something heroic, maybe, but it doesn't do that. It do- it just starts off with him, like, playing with his weird cat creature thing. Yeah. And just running around and making a mess of things. As he puts a baby to sleep when it's having nightmares. Uh, that's So, I mean, that's tied into the dreams aspect, I guess, but it's like, it's just one little thing. Like, we get more set up with the girl, who is way more interesting, Glim. Yeah. Like, she, conceptually, I just love the idea of this 
candle woman, this woman made of wax, who freezes up at nighttime, can only move at daytime, but if she goes out in the sun, she will melt and die. That is amazing. <laughs> that is a cool power that should be in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> that, that's awesome. The Doostan Candle Man. Yes, yes. Oh there has God. to be a song that, you know, the candles that we're, we're too musically inept to not think of. But. I'm pretty sure someone's made a song called Candle Man. Oh, okay, cool. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so she's like the most interesting character for most of this movie because she has like interesting motivations. She knows so much about the lore of the series because she studied it. And, you know, she has like a very tangible like mo- dream of like she just wants to go out and explore the world. But what's keeping her back is just her biological inability to actually go out mm. in the world. Because she can't go out during the sun because she'll melt, and she can't go out at night because she'll freeze. And it's it's terrible. Yeah. But she's cool. So, so she's like the coolest character. And she like does the heroic sacrifice at the end. Yeah, by lighting up the sun. Yeah, but yes. She likes risks her life to blow the sun back. It's cool. Uh, and then the other main character is Sahone, who is like, you know, a jock. It's not like a Bad guy, he's just kind of like he's he's a bit arrogant. Full of himself and arrogant, yeah. Yeah. I mean he does have like darkness in him, he does have like some selfishness that almost lets him get corrupted, uh towards the end of the movie, but you know, he eventually realizes hero- his heroic like me calling and uh yeah. what's right and snaps back into being a good guy. And uh you know, and eventually does learn to respect Mune. But I don't See, the thing about Mune's character arc is I don't know what it's supposed to be about, because there's no sense of, like, okay, so he needs to accept this responsibility, right? This responsibility Mm -hmm. of being guardian of the moon. And the idea is that he's not responsible, and he keeps causing all his mishaps, and he needs to take responsibility for the damage he's caused, and also for the position he's inherited. And then at the end of the movie, Sohon is, like, saying, you know... Me when I was growing about you, you are the most powerful guardian ever. Like, what does that what? have to do with his character arc? <laughs> like, what was, why was that the takeaway of this movie? That was not supposed to be the takeaway. I thought the yeah. takeaway was that he had to come into his own, become a goddamn adult, and take charge of like what he was entrusted with. You know? He yeah, to, like Sahone was like, "Huh, I don't think you're." At the beginning, of the movie, it was like. Huh, I don't think you're qualified to be Guardian of the Moon. You kind of cut the other guy out of it. Yeah, it's, it's not, it wasn't supposed to be about strength. It was just supposed to be about, like... If he's actually worthy of the title, if he is deserving to be the Guardian, if he is qualified, even. It's not necessarily about strength, because, like, Mune's power isn't really strength-based. It isn't. Yeah, it's... It's magically based, like it's, it's just it's like a magical psychological type power. I mean, he uses his wits and to just like get around and to outmaneuver his he enemies uses or get out of his magic hands. drug dust to make people dream. Yeah, I wonder. If this is also part of the Ghibli conspiracy: infecting children through their dreams to want subconsciously uh, the drugs <laughs> that Totoro is selling. Kiki's Maybe it wasn't a Ghibli conspiracy. Maybe it's a G-Kids conspiracy. You're right. Maybe that's the thematic trick between all the G-Kids films, is that they're all trying to peddle drugs to our children. Oh my god. We're sorry, G-Kids. We love you. No, dude. We can't love them if they're really trying to brainwash <laughs> our children into wanting to get addicted to drugs, dude. We gotta we gotta expose the conspiracy. We, we gotta find the truth. We gotta do some more research. We gotta see more of these films, and we gotta piece together the G-Kids conspiracy. The G-Kids cinematic universe. Yeah. The G-Kids cinematic universe. We love you, G-Kids. We don't love your drugs. Yeah, if you're... Unless the drugs themselves are the movies. Oh, no! We've all It all makes sense now! Oh, my God! But the drugs are so good, then. We've been addicted! Oh, no! We're going I to mean, be going to see all the G-Kids movies. We can't stop ourselves now. Oh, no! I mean, High School Singing the Sea was already drugs to begin with, so... <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean... So I guess one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that when Yoon uses his dream powers, it changes the animation style completely. It goes from CG to just kind of this more, like, 
Freeform 2D style. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. the world of dreams, and I love, like, the, when they depict flashback sequences in this great 2D style with such striking colors. This, like, very kind of looser, rougher animation, like, mm. very, like, uh, inconsistent, like, outlining, but, like, just beautiful movement and just beautiful, like, color choreography. It's just, oh, so visually beautiful. Yeah. Like, it, looks like some of the best like 2D animation uh, I've seen in a, you know <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of 2D animation in theatrical uh, release. Just seeing but, 2D just seeing 2D in a modern animated film is just so nice. Cause, especially really good stuff like that. Yeah, let's face it like 2D animation films is kind of been on its way out because everyone wants to do CG now. Yeah, I, this, those are Gotta be my favorite sequences in the movie. The the dream sequences. Because yeah. great fluid great character look, acting yeah. too. Just some great character subtle character acting. Like during the scene where like they're at the moonstone and like and, and moon moon is like sitting saying, oh, uh, bestow upon me a new moon, and then the, <laughs> the candle girl is, like, giving him the, is, like, she's just pointing, pointing she's around. She's pointing to, like, the, like, sickle. Yes, and, like, the groove in the, that's yeah. in the moonstone, it's like, you know, just not in there, yeah. you gotta do that, it's like. Just go, just go hammer it in, you. Great. Bo- great body language, great character acting. Yeah. I mean, the CG stuff has that too. The CG, the CG looks great. Like this is probably some of the best CG you'll see from like modern animated films. I'd say the best animation. Yeah, uh, you'll see in a like film of this. Uh, like this is very similar to like Captain Underpants again. Yeah, as I said before, yeah. they did a great job of like using a two D kind of sensibility in a three D space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean. The two, the 2D in the dream, in the dream sequences though looks fluid, dynamic. It just looks so great. It does. I was absolutely enthralled by the animation and by the art. Again, artistically, this was an ingenious, a brilliant movie. And on that alone, I can recommend it. I think that, you know, with a G Kids release, you can at least count on there being some incredible animation involved. It's it's gonna look experimental or it's gonna look very unique. Right. This this falls into I'd say very much both categories. Right. G Kids is never gonna just be after like the commercial successes either. Like they aren't gonna license the French equivalent of the Emoji Movie. No, I mean this movie was a financial (laughs) flop in France. It was. It was like it was made with a seventeen million budget. I don't know if that's, uh, Euros or U- in US stars, but it was made for 17 million and it only grossed 9.1 million. Jesus. So it was a flop in France, but they still brought it over here because it had so much artistic merit. This is yeah. a movie they thought deserved to reach more audiences and I'm glad that they are willing to do that for movies like this that would otherwise just go unnoticed, unseen. Yeah, for sure. But, when it comes to, like, enjoying the movie for its narrative, I mean, I think that it's confused thematically with what it's trying to say, especially in regards to Noon's character arc. And in terms of characters, like, I like Glim. I like her a lot. I like her role in the story. She was cool. I don't like the forced, like, romance that eventually happens yeah. between Munich. I don't that, get that, it. That wasn't really needed. It wasn't needed at all. It didn't, like, it just... I didn't get the chemistry between them. Like, I got maybe a friendship life, a romantic life. Like, just because they're the male and female lead, they had to fall in love. But say, Mune's the Kirito. He's a nice guy, so everyone wants to fuck it. Ugh, you know... That's probably not even an unfair comparison. Mune <laughs> is kind of pretty perfect. I, I I don't know if I really liked him as a character. I like his design. I like his the when he's animated. I don't, as the actual character, I'm not sure. I like Sahoon a lot more, honestly, because he has a more interesting character arc and more interesting yeah. like uh, journey to become more humble, become more aware of like what it means to be a guardian, not just for the prestige of it, but also. Well, you know, what the rep entails in terms of responsibility and, like, why that's important. You know, I thought his character arc was really cool. I liked a lot of the supporting characters, 
like Fosfo, the previous uh, guardian of the moon, yeah. who like ran away from his responsibilities, but like sacrifices his life to make Sahun see the light, and you know that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I like some. I like like the minions of the main antagonist. Like they yeah, like fun. the little like volcano midget guys. Yeah, yeah, like the one guy. There was the one guy who was like, oh yeah, chaos and destruction. Woo! <laughs> he was funny, and also funny was like the really depressed guy who just liked flowers and didn't really want to be evil. And they're like these evil snakes that the antagonist has, and like they and like he the the depressed guy's like going yay and co- coil around me, make me evil, and they just <laughs> and they just move past him, and he's go and he's like oh I knew it. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, uh, that character was fun. Uh, yeah, so, you know, they, those little guys are fun, uh, but the actual antagonists of this movie, like Lehun, the jilted guardian of the moon, and, uh, Necros, the former guardian of the sun who became, uh, evil and went to the underworld, uh, they were, whatever, you know, they're, yeah. they're, e- they were evil or corrupted or whatever, I guess, <laughs> I don't know, I guess the Necros guy, he was corrupted by temptation by the snakes. Like, I don't know what the snakes are supposed to represent. I guess It's, just... it's like those black thingies in uh, Voltron Season 3. Oh, don't get <laughs> me started on that. We, uh... we have a whole podcast to worry about that after this. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess just in general, it's like a thematic, symbolic representation of, like, temptation just, like, related to Adam and Eve. Everyone knows, like, the snake tempts you. Yeah. It's kind of like the same deal here. You know, that's just what it means. So, it's okay. Uh, as of, I don't get, I mean, his motivation is just that, I'm evil. I don't want people to live. So, I'm going to steal the sun and like, let I, the moon die. Like, I feel like, generally, narratively, this is very much by the books. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty, you know, you can tell where the plot is going. I yeah. think the only, like, uh, deviations are that the female lead does, like, do something to actually, like, save the day. Mm-hmm. That, and doesn't really need to be saved or rescued that much. Like, the one time she is, like, it makes sense because, like, she's freaking frozen. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, again, she's, like, the best character in the movie. She's the most interesting. Uh, and then the, I, and then, like, behind her is probably Phospho. Because I, I thought he was—he had a cool design, and he had a—he had some—he had a cool sacrifice going for him. Then Sahon again, nice character arc, and then the and rest. And then all the way at the bottom, we have Mune. Yeah, really, at the bottom is Mune. Mune is like whatever. Uh, he's a yeah. kids film protagonist. He's not that. I guess he's trying to be a. I guess they're trying to go for an Aladdin thing. I don't know. Whatever. I guess. But yeah, I mean, like, if you're if you're gonna see this film. See it for the visual. See it for the like the fantastic direction and art. Narratively, you're probably not going to get much out of it. I mean, this is a film I would see again. Thinking about it, just yeah, like, but you're not going to watch for the story again. Probably you're going wa- to watch it for the visuals. Yeah, I'm going to watch it for the animation. And yeah, because like, I really love looking at beautiful art animation and just studying how it was drawn. In my mind, whenever I see an animated film now, I'm just like. In my mind, I'm trying to slow it down in my mind and pick out every single keyframe and learn from it. Because that's just how my mind works now. I would say, though, that I do like some of the characters. Again, I do like Glim, and I do like some of the other characters. I, the only character I really don't care about that much is Mune and, I guess, the villain. But even the villain, at least, is a good villain in terms of being intimidating and threatening. Yeah. And the other villain, Lehun, is like, uh, he's, he's whatever, but he's, he can be funny sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't really. It was hard for me to really think of him as a villain. He was a villain. He's he's the reason all, all the bad. <laughs> he okay. Happen. He fucks everything over. But after that, like they don't really paint him as a villain. Just he's just kind of like yeah. He does. He stops being a villain, but he was yeah. still a villain. Yeah. He was still like after power. He still was willing to sacrifice the sun for the sake of you know getting the moon. And it's like, even though he did care about, like, being a good guardian or whatever, it's not like, he was still incredibly selfish and he was still, like, willing to, like, risk people's lives in yeah. order for that to happen. Uh, that's a good point. You know, so he was, he was a bad guy. He had a, he had his, he didn't really have a redemption. He really didn't do anything to redeem himself. They just, like, 
you know, we're like, whatever, dude, just get out of the way now. Yeah. We don't care. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> that guy was whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, overall, I enjoyed watching this movie. I'm glad that we discovered that this was being put out of theaters and got to go see it. This was a unique experience, and I had a good time with it. Mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anything else to add? <laughs> you summed it up well. Um, G Kids will probably release this on DVD and Blu-ray soon. I mean, if you're interested in this film, I'd say go check it out. Go buy it. Support more niche films that G Kids are releasing. If I I personally want to see more of this stuff get released in theaters and just release in general over here. Yeah. So yeah, go support it. For listening to another episode of Mung Americs at Movies, episode number 20. And believe it or not, we still have a ways to go before we clear off our 2017 backlog episodes, because we still have 10 episodes recorded in 2017 that we still need to release, and hopefully we can get those all out by the end of 2018, so we can start 2019 fresh with some more recent relevant reviews. But I hope you enjoyed our coverage of My Life is a Zucchini and Mune Garden of the Moon, or Mune Garden of the Moon, as I am wont to mispronounce the name, two underrated French animated films that we highly suggest you check out. And if you want to check out more of this podcast, Manga Mavericks Ad Movies, you can do so on all-comic.com where we are hosted. And you can also follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com. And you can find me, Lumromayasha, the host, at Lumromayasha on Twitter and on the Animation Revelations forums, Amulus, wherever there's a Lum Ramayasha, that's where you'll find me. And the same holds true for We Lord GTZ as well. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions you want to email us, you can send them our way at mungamavericks at gmail.com. And you can join our Discord server as well, the Manga Mavericks official Discord server. But that about does it for this episode of Manga Mavericks at Movies episode 20, and we'll see you in the next one. And cut!